in one age, called the Third Age by some. An age yet to come. An age long past. A wind rose on the Geek at Arms podcast. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the Wheel of Time. But it was a beginning. Welcome to Woolheads, a Wheel of Time podcast by Geek at Arms. I'm Brian, and here's a man that I think surely must be Taviran. It's James. The light of loom you, Brian. And you as well, James. Well, after a enjoyable, let's admit it, somewhat uneven first season, we finally get a look at the long-awaited first episode of season two. I have to admit, I was uh, willing to put up with the wait in exchange for more Lord of the Rings, but as anybody who knows me knows, I detested the Rings of Power, so we're just not going to talk about that. Let's just move right on from that. Let's leave that behind in the rearview mirror, wash the taste out of our mouths with a decent uh, load of channeling and some good-looking Trollocs. Right, right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about production. Uh, see, the setting on this first episode was a little smaller in scope, I mm-hmm. thought. I mean, we didn't have those broad sweeping grand landscapes we Uh, did get one at the very beginning which reminded mm -hmm. me again that the production team in charge of finding locales did a good job yes uh but a lot of the the episode takes place indoors or in unpopulated towns Mm -hmm. Uh, and a lot of it looked like it probably was more in back lots and on stages uh so it didn't have quite as much the epic feel as uh season one's episode one uh, that's not to say it looked bad it still looked fantastic their uh, production designers are doing a, a great great job mm-hmm. honestly i rather enjoyed this somewhat slower paced episode i thought that we got a great look at what is going on in their in their each person's lives after this gigantic change in the world at the end of season uh one mostly let me amend that i, I mostly enjoyed the look at tower life that we got, um, which was enjoyable, if rather early, um, <laughs> chronologically well, early speaking. early and late, yeah. because this takes place six months after uh, the Battle at Torwin's Gap. Yeah, you're right. Um, because at, at, uh, they talk about at the end of the episode that, you know, it's Beltine again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know, Perrin and Ingtar have been chasing the horn for six months and haven't found it. So that's a quite a big change from the books where uh, yeah, everything was so immediate and, and, and desperate on that chase. I, at first that, you know, we'll get to, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get um, to the conger talk right. here in a bit. Uh, <laughs> let's finish up with production. Uh, the first thing that we're treated to though, is um, a mysterious house, a girl playing and uh, some Trollocs again. And mm-hmm. I want to say, that I am very pleased with how the Trollocs look in the show. Um, I've said, I've said in the past that I didn't care for the Trollocs, but upon a second going, a second viewing of season one and and watching the beginning of season two, I, I kind of do like them a lot more than I did before. I think they're, they're doing an excellent job there. To me, this was a very important part of the effects, uh, that I thought was required. It has to be good. These are the orcs of the wheel of time universe. These are the bad guy foot soldiers that are the, they are the face of evil. We see the most. And I want more than just muscular guys with some fangs 
and maybe <laughs> a beak glued to his nose. No, I want them to be big, scary, visceral, and grotesque. And yeah. they accomplish that. The way they're described in the books, they, they do sound more like a guy with a, a beak glued to his face. So I think... <laughs> I think this Im imagining of them is much better than what I have in my head when I'm reading the descriptions that Jordan gave us. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that we get a look at a, a Midral, uh, quite a few of them, actually, in this episode, mm -hmm. which I was not expecting. Speaking of the stunt work in that fight between Lan and the Mirdrill was fantastic. Top notch. That was just as good, if not better than the vast majority of the fight scenes in the first season. Mm, it was it, so good. It was yeah. too bad. It was so dark. <laughs> mm -hmm. This really showed what like a warder could do because the Midral are uh, talked up in the books about their grease lightning, their death in car, their death walking and mm -hmm. a, a normal soldier against one. It's no contest. That soldier is toast, but a warder is a different thing entirely. And Lan is to warders what warders are to normal soldiers. He is right. just a cut above the rest. And, he, and he's been training his whole life specifically to fight Mirdral. Exactly. And so he doesn't bat an eye. He just goes in on these boys. And, but even still, it shows the deadliness of these creatures because when he fights two, he starts getting hurt. Mm -hmm. Especially when he doesn't have Moraine, who is still blocked, to back him up. Now... Yeah. As I was wanting to say a moment ago, I enjoyed the fight scene immensely. I enjoyed how dangerous that these creatures are portrayed to be. This is personal opinion. I don't like how they look. Yeah, I I don't like the mouth. I don't either. It makes them look like... Um, it makes... The, they look like... Like pale Vampires. slugs. With, they look like pale <laughs> slugs with a mouthful of teeth to me. Yeah, where the way that they I first just the, the way they're described in the book, the way I envisioned them, and this might have also happened to be just 90s James. I viewed <laughs> them as looking like D from the anime Vampire Hunter D just without eyes. Mm. Very pale, very angular features, tall, long, dirty, uh, greasy black hair, very thin I never imagined them with hair. They were always bald. But the thing is that in the books, they talk. And that makes them way creepier. I thought it was only one midrawl that no, could several talk. Several of them talked. Okay, I thought it was only that one midrawl, like the super midrawl that the Dark One made. Mm -mm. I thought he was no, because talk. There was that scene where... Oh, spoilers. Nynaeve, yeah, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. All over the place. <laughs> uh, where Nynaeve and Egwene are, are trapped in a barn... Uh, this was in the in the Great Hunt, even, and one of them. There's Mirdrill talking to the guys that cop, captured him, and one of them says, "Are you sure they're unconscious? I itch because they can sense channeling." Oh, okay, huh? I've forgotten that. Um, but even still, and there are a couple of times where they're taunting someone with what they're going to do to people that someone loves. Yeah, that sounds about right for them. Um, but yeah, I feel like they could have done better. They did. I like how they move. I like how they fight. Um, mm -hmm. Just the, the, in the face, not a fan. I thought they were described as having black hair. I may have forgotten. They may have always been bald. I don't remember. Uh, I, I don't remember anything about hair, but I would just imagine them bald. <laughs> God, God, yeah, 
once again, just different perspectives of the same creature. Maybe I just have to hold over from comparing them with Priorities from the uh, Tad Williams books. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> this may be a small production note, but um, I really enjoyed Rosamund Pike at the beginning, kind of going oh, through the motions mm-hmm. of hauling up water, you know, heating it with wood just to just to wash her clothes and take a bath in the wash water because that's what she's been reduced to. I love the look of her because this, she looks aged. Mm-hmm. That that um, somewhat forever youthful appearance that is a hallmark of an Aes Sedai is no longer there. She looks now just like a middle-aged woman whose life has been hitting rather hard. Which And they it, changed her costuming too. They did. Um, so a wonderful point for uh, the makeup and production crew for – for making her look like that, someone who is who's who's been who's now easily haggard, and is just really having a hard time, um, and is without the power that she normally can call upon. Also, just a note to Rosamund Pike herself. Um, when I pictured the casting of Moraine Damadred, she is not the person that I pictured. But I'm glad they chose her. Mm. Yeah, she's fantastic. So speaking of, of casting, specifically of Aes Sedai, um, we, see a, we, we see a lot more weaving in this episode. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk about Sherium specifically because this is, we're getting into some Copland talk here. Okay. I do not like her characterization in this show. Gotcha. Can I make one more Speaking of casting, sure. I want to make one more production note, and that is on the subject of weaving. We see quite a bit of it in the tower and also in a fight. And I think compared to the weaving effect that we saw in uh, prevalent throughout season one, it looks much more refined, much more yeah, precise and sharp. And you're getting a distinction now between the different elements of of the one power, air, earth, Water, spirit, very mm. distinctive now, and that is exactly what fire I've been sword was incredible. <laughs> oh, that that was so cool. That was so good. Oh, that was so good. So yeah, someone was paying attention to notes from uh, from from listeners from the first season. Uh, well done. <laughs> Keep that up. Give us more of that, mm-hmm. please, and thank you. So anyway, on to uh, as you were talking about, let's head straight to Conger talk. Yeah. So. Sherium is supposed to be this this warm person. I mean, yes, she's a disciplinarian. She's she's tough, but I don't see any novice or accepted going to cry on this woman's shoulder. Oh, not one bit. And also, that, which, work. <laughs> and the fact that she lets um, Aleda, who is supposed to be by their own admission banished from helping novices because she killed one. She, she didn't kill in. one. One died under her care. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Well, and she is black on jaw, so maybe she did kill them. Yes, we don't know. And uh, well, she she probably she whatever happened, it was probably mostly her fault. Anyway, yeah. she turned her head too quickly, and that sharp chin just cut the poor kid's <laughs> head right off. But in a proper mistress of novices would not have let this woman anywhere near them. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. how convincing the argument is. Like, no, hard no, you're not coming near my girls. 
But yet all it took was a, maybe I could help, you know, and she caves. I, there is a something I would say there, but it's a deep, deep spoiler. And so I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there there's some things I'm willing to spoil, but that one, no. Let's, yeah, we got to yeah. pick and choose um, our spoils here. Right. I believe you meant Leandrin, though, not Elida. I mean, I did we think they're the same character, but I did meet Leandrin. Um, yeah, I'm getting the two characters mixed up. Yeah, well, I think that's natural because I think that the show has probably combined them. Speaking of combining characters, I don't know if this is in my negative or in my indifferent, but we go back to the hunt and they talk about, oh, we've this sniffer that we got to track Patton <laughs> Fane. I'm like, oh, we're going to see her in. Cool. We're going to get to, to, to see this character. And no, it's Elias. They just wrote her and right out. Yeah, I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, they've got to they've got to mm-hmm. be wrapping these characters together. They do. And I'm it, delighted to see Elias. Yes. I never imagined him quite like that. I mean, again, the, the picture in my head, I was seeing more of a uh, Davy Crockett type and less mm-hmm. Heimdall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. I, thought, I first thought Heimdall when I saw him. Um <laughs> When I thought Elias in my head, I thought, frankly, I kind of thought a a Sam Elliott type. Yeah, I could see that. Now, as as I said, I was kind of bummed that we didn't get to meet Huron. But Mm -hmm. the more I thought about it, I realized there are oodles and oodles. And I am using the precise measurement here of (laughs) characters in these books, we're uh, not going to be able to include them all for the sake of the story. There's going to have to be some are going to have to be combined. Some are going to have to be left by the wayside. So I don't think we saw Elias at all in the first season. Did we No, no, so, they, they skipped him. I was disappointed by that. I was yeah, looking forward to seeing him. Me too. But I think, I think putting him here is, is an okay move because if he's involved in the hunt, that means we're going to see more of him. He's going to be attached to the story for longer. And so the audience is going to get to see what the being a wolf brother means mm-hmm. to Perrin through watching Elias. And Elias. Because we don't have we don't have access to his internal state mm-hmm. as much. Yeah. The, the, the tracking TV. of Patton Fane is a perfect uh, vessel in which Elias can, that Elias can use to train mm-hmm. Perrin um, in, in using his wolf senses and tracking and finding out where Padden Fane is, but we saw at the beginning of the episode, Padden Fane is with a group of other people, and it's kind of heavily implied that Padden Fane is one of the Forsaken now. No, no, that was the the Dark Friend Social. Okay, because you had you had uh, the High Lady Suroff. If you saw the, the fingernails, um, I'm pretty sure that the guy sitting next to Fane was. Uh, whoever the white cloak dark friend is going to turn out to be, if they're keeping Karadin, or maybe it's, uh, I think they're going to uh, wrap him up with Eamon Valda. Okay. Um, there was an Aes Sedai there who could have been one of three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Tinker woman, for some reason. I'm going to have to go back me. and watch that scene again, because I was a little confused. I'm like, are we actually seeing the forsaken here or are we seeing a gathering of dark friends 
it's... No, that was the the prologue scene from the great hunt where you had uh the guy that they named Bors, who turned out later to be J. Jim Carradine, walking around and seeing, oh, there's a, a sea folk person and at least two Aes Sedai and all of that. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think Ishamel was the only uh, Forsaken actually at that meeting. Gotcha. Which, side note, I don't know who the person is. I don't remember his name at the top of my head who's playing Ishamel, but he's doing a great job. <laughs> yes, he is. Really enjoying him. Um... At first, I was a little bummed that we're not seeing Rand with this group. Um, but then I remembered, oh, wait, everyone thinks he's dead. Mm-hmm. So that explains that. Um, but we just get that little glimpse of him at the end, hanging mm-hmm. up his lantern, which I enjoyed. I thought that was a perfect way to remind you he's not dead. He's just off doing a thing. <laughs> um, I do want to make mention, and this will be my last uh bad note i know that not that i know scratch that a lot has to be (laughs) packed into these episodes but between season one and this one how much screen time has been spent on moraine taking a bath (laughs) (laughs) more than it really deserves but i I think i kind of get the reason for it was because we were comparing the the bath scene in the first episode of the first season was the first time we saw her channeling i mean and then we get this one and we see it it's a mirror image of that one and we're like, oh, did she Rosamund wants to Pike be able to have heal. something in her contract that she just gets to, <laughs> you know get, just just get in the whirlpool once every three episodes or something? I don't know. Anyway, because I mean there was the one in the first episode. She was... dries out, you know, she's gotta <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, She's they're... she's gearing up to play in the next Aquaman movie. <laughs> Dry skin, the unknown bane of the Aes Sedai. <laughs> Pray the Dark One never knows. Okay. Um, well, let's, wait, that's enough bad differences. Let's talk about some of the good things that we enjoyed. Not really a difference, um, but hey, I, I know you'll enjoy this one. We meet Varen. Mm, yes. Well, it was a, a difference because she comes she's replacing Brandine, mm. uh, who was... Pretty Vandian and Adelius in the books were just throwaway characters. I mean, they were mm-hmm. there for a couple of chapters, and then we never hear from them again. Right. Uh, so it makes and, sense. They need to go. And by bringing in a character who is very much a fan favorite um, mm-hmm. and getting her in there early, uh, smart idea. Yeah. And I like that they, they gave us the opportunity to get a little more characterization on Ad- uh, Adelius. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was... She was really amusing. I liked her all the way through. Yeah, me too. Just slightly snarky. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Bale Doman really enjoyed uh, getting to see him finally. I appreciate that they kept his. Where is he from? Ilium? Yeah, Ilium. I'm I'm very happy they kept the Ilium speech patterns in the show. Mm -hmm. They're very distinct and somewhat weird in the book, but they marked you. They marked the person from the region they came from. They included that. Well done. Yeah. I liked the way that they mixed some of like some of his story in the book was a little nonsensical with uh, uh, the Trollocs chasing him all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, yes, he's carrying a seal, but we haven't seen any indications that, you know, shadow spawn can sense the seals. Otherwise they'd have been chasing them around all over the place. Yeah. 
So having it be, okay, he's being followed by Mirdral, but they're doing it so that they can follow him to Moraine makes a heck of a lot more sense. And I did love his exchange with Moraine, especially at the end. <laughs> I have been playing this game with the Sea Folk. They are very good. Well, the Sea Folk are very good at it. Remember, the Aes Sedai made the game. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was good. And I appreciate that even he just laughed and realized he'd been had. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to go back to, uh, to Leandrin a little bit. I wasn't sold on her the first season. I thought she was a little mustache twirly. A uh, little. <laughs> yeah. Or with, with but, her, it'd be, uh, it would be chin scratching. Right. I'm not going to quit but, on her uh, chin. That thing is just, <laughs> I know it's not, a it, is, it is all her, but still. It is a threat. Wow. Yeah. She should get together with, uh, uh, Matt Smith. <laughs> We cut down a forest. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the scene with her and, and Nynaeve, just the very end of it, uh, there was some nice bit where she's clearly exhausted from trying to shield Nynaeve for so long, and she just got this this slight wobble as she leaves the room. I thought that was a, a nice touch. I liked that too. Oh, the the scene with Egwene and Alana. Oh my gosh. Everything about that scene was amazing. <laughs> Very well done by the characters. It's like that that's not what I'm talking about. That that no, I was talking about the weaves. Oh. 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 <laughs> Same advice, honey. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Well, any other uh, good moments or shall we head to theory crafting? Let's get into the theory crafting. I just want to point out that nearly all of my theory crafting from the last episode has been completely shot to bits. <laughs> yeah, they, they shattered it all. Like I wow, like from the get go, just punched me in the gut and said, not only are you wrong, you're stupid. Yeah, I think that they're going to be departing a lot more from the books. Yeah, uh, here on out, and I think that's, I think that's in keeping with Jordan's uh, philosophy. Like I said last time, he was reading the forums and changing his plans when people guessed his guess what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think they're doing the same thing. You know, I have a I have a suspicion that uh, they're not going to reveal Ingtar as a dark friend. Okay, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I. If I was writing this thing and knowing, okay, the audience is expecting Ingtar to be a dark friend, we're going to switch that up somehow. Remind me and our listeners, please, mostly me, which one Ingtar is. Uh, Ingtar is the leader of the Shinarans hunting the horn. The guy wearing the, the axe on his back. That is right. Yes. Thank you. Um, I, had only, but, I only had I for Uno. <laughs> <All right. laughs> nice. Thank you. <laughs> I do think, though, I, there's still a possibility that's going to be him because there was obviously a Shyanaran at the Dark Friend Social because we see the little girl see the uh, mm -hmm. the crest. And at the scene where they discovered the uh, the dead people on the hunt, they come across mm -hmm. a Shinaran soldier, realize this guy um, was the betrayer. But he gave him a death. He gave him a, gave him, gave him a yeah. proper burial anyway. Um, so it could go either way. They're 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 keeping us 
they're keeping enough confusion about that in the air that I, I think that they're going to go a different direction than the books did. I wanted to get your opinion on something which really came at me out of left field, and that was the fact that um, Leandrin has Matt prisoner. Yeah. Um, well, we had Moraine did send a message back to the Red Aja saying, find Matt Cawthon. He's a danger. Mm hmm. Um, Leandrin is apparently the big mover and shaker among the Red Aja, so she apparently took it on herself. And she's got, you know, a uh, personal beef with Moraine and wants to interfere with her to, at all times. Which apparently includes intercepting uh, Egwene and Nynaeve's mail. So, yeah, that actually the, the intercepting of the mail uh, is a big clue that she actually is indeed Black Aja because she lies straight out to Matt about what's in the letter. You are right. Absolutely right. So I think that's confirmation that they haven't changed that aspect of her character. Mm -hmm. uh, I did. I thought it was it was fun that Matt's pulling a uh, count on Monte Cristo at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saw out the, the one brick at a time. Hopefully it won't take him as long as it did uh, Edmund Dantes. I can get out of here. One brick at a time. One brick at a... And I'm 13 stories up. Oh, yeah. This is a tower. <laughs> did not think that through. That's, darn. There's a lot of dirt behind this. I'm in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, well, two things I will theorycraft is I still believe that we are going to be seeing Camelin in this season. Um, it's too important. And there are some characters which I think will appear, maybe not until the second half of the season, but I think they're on the way. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I find it interesting that, and this was in the teaser at the end of the episode, uh, Rand, while he's off uh, on his journey of self-discovery or, oh God, I'm actually the end of the world, help me, um, <laughs> is that he finds himself in the company of a dark-haired beauty, which I was like, ooh, ooh. I had to go look her up again because it's been a while. But I do like that they have brought in. Um, now, I wonder if she will go by the name Celine in the show. She does. Okay. Because I watched the show with subtitles on and they bracketed her name when she spoke. <laughs> so it is Celine. Um, if everyone has not seen the next couple of episodes, I won't say anything yet. But she had a small part in the book uh, when Ran gets, I forget, he channels into these stones in the Great Hunt, right. and he ends up in an alternate dimension. And right. he meets a woman there, he saves her from it, and she is very important to his future, and it seems like she will be playing a much, much bigger part in his real life life so yeah it looked to me as if there's like an actual relationship there and that's a mm -hmm. big departure from the books so yeah a lot and i can only imagine that it's going to be an even larger complication in the show than in the books <laughs> uh, right as we move on to his future relationships now, they're gonna they're gonna be putting some soap in the show it, yeah. there's gonna be a lot more Romantic entanglements than uh, than we saw in the novels. I'm sure, you know they they set it up early with the 
the love triangle with Perrin and Egwene and uh. it's going to continue. And of course we know that Rand eventually winds up in his love quadrangle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a, a, a four dimensional structure of some kind. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I will, the last thing I'll mention about like the teaser, I saw Perrin swinging both a hammer and an axe. They kind of sort of fixed my boy. Maybe not so much <laughs> fixed them. We put a Band-Aid on him. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I, I missed that. I, I'll have to watch watch the teaser mm-hmm. again. Well, I think that's probably going to wrap it up for this uh, review of the first episode of The Wheel of Time. Um, Certainly seems like it. Amazon kind of threw us a curveball, everyone. We were planning on doing one review a week, but then... How could they? We got three episodes dropping at a time. Normally, I'd be like, oh, yes, but I'm like, oh, that makes this next week kind of difficult. (laughs) So over the course of the next uh, five to six days, y'all are going to be getting another couple of episodes as we hurriedly try to do episodes two and three. And we'll be back next weekend with our review of episode four. Yep. And we're looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll have lots and lots to stay. Mm -hmm. But until then, may you always find water and shade. (laughs) 